All right. If you have a Bible, meet me in John chapter 15. We are weeks, months into our study of the Gospel of John, and we are not slowing down at all. We are diving into the end of John chapter 15, starting at verse 18 today. We spent the last two weeks in the early part of John 15, but I want to start with this. John Ortberg said, talking about AA, if you're familiar with AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and he was reflecting on the modern church, and he said somebody came up to him in his ministry as a pastor and asked him the question, why can't church be more like AA? The question, of course, referencing the stark life change, right, that you see in a ministry like AA and the life change that is produced over the years. Now, apart from the obvious that the church for thousands of years has been producing life change, but apart from that, the reality of a dying American church, the one where Christendom made it beneficial to be in the church, is of course waning. Not necessarily a bad thing to weed out those who aren't really following Jesus, but I love what Ortberg said in response to the question. He said, the church can be if the members are more willing to act like alcoholics. Not the alcohol, (laughs) but rather to show up in utter neediness. That's a word. The question hopefully you're asking though, at least intellectually, even if you know it in your heart, is why would I need to show up in utter neediness? In my opinion, that's the right question for you to ask today. The church, the thing that Jesus is building, ought to be a lot more like a hospital and a lot less like a country club. I think for the last several decades we've lost that in some way, shape, or form as a capital C church, at least in our own nation. The fact of the matter is, with very little effort, and we've talked about this many times, with very little effort, you and I can quite easily float along, straddling the line between Christian and our secular moment. And it's honestly not been that hard for a long time until you consider the full breadth of Jesus' teaching, right? Until you start at John chapter 1 verse 1 and you start to march through and you recognize that those who are following Jesus, there will come a moment where wheat is separated from the tares, right? Our text today is one of those dividing lines. It's one of those texts, one of those lines in the sand, if you will, where Jesus makes a distinction that if you are truly in Christ, right? We spent the last two weeks talking about what does it look like to abide in Christ and He in you. Weeks before that, what does it look like to have a life where you have no darkness at all, Jesus offered? There are these lines in the sand, and today's one of them. John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. It'll be on the screen for you. Here's what the Bible has to say. If the world, what? Talk to me. 
It's a dividing line, is it not? If the world hates you, I don't know about you, but in my relationships with people, love and hate are pretty easy to feel. You're picking up what I'm laying down. This is very deep. Now, I know when somebody hates me, right? Jerome, just this morning, called me, so I'm going to be a little late. I'm like, again? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Said, he's going to be a little late. Somebody broke into my car last night. And it's like, there, we're not confused. Like, we understand love and hate. Like, these lines are clear, right? We get that. When your pastor makes fun of you on stage, that's not... It's not love, is it? I'm sorry, I apologize. <laughs> right? When the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world... Therefore, the world hates you. What's the implication here? That if you are abiding in Christ and he and you and you are bearing much fruit and you are living that abundant life with joy to the full. There is going to be a rub with our secular moment. There has to be. What we get to choose is what's the rub. Will the rub be my political affiliation or will the rub be because I am in Christ and live, looking and living and walking like Jesus, right? Jesus didn't ever get in trouble for the things he did, right? Everybody was fine with the healing. They're fine with the cool miracles. He got in trouble for the things that he said, right? He said, I and my father are one. I am the way, the truth. The life and no one comes to the father except through me, right? Those were the things Jesus got in trouble for because we would rather have the ability to just get around the mountain and all roads lead to the top. That's not what it says, is it? Even in our text here, we'll come to something that says different. But th this is what Jesus is saying. If you are following me, abiding in me, bearing my kind of fruit, there's going to be a rub. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because there's a reason they don't know him who sent me. Why is abiding in the father so critical? Because if you don't abide in the father, then you won't find life. And if you don't find life, you'll end up living in death. Important. Keep going. Verse 21, but all these things they will do on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Think about it if you were a Jew standing there listening to Jesus. Think about the implications of what he was saying. He's claiming to be God, right? He's claiming to be the offspring of the father, 
the one who could take them to the father, the one they've been looking for for thousands of years. Let's be let's be honest. If if somebody walked in here today and said, I am Jesus Christ, I have come again. This is the second coming. You and I would be like, no, you're not. (laughs) Right. I think we're so quick to look at the Jewish people and say, man, why didn't they get it? Look at what he was doing. Yet even in our own moment, for some of us, it's so clear that Jesus is moving and working. It's so clear that there's a whole other realm that I cannot see, but I know is there because I feel it and I see it and I taste it. When the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good, I've experienced that. But if I tell my neighbor, they think I'm crazy. Right? Why would I follow an ancient book (laughs) with my life? Why would I believe in a God I cannot see? And you would say, but I can. They say, but I can't. Right? So before we judge too quickly, humility is in order, right? Verse 23, but whoever hates me hates my father also. And there's ultimately the issue. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Listen, I looked that up in Greek. I looked it up in another translation. And hated is just like, it means like, hated. <laughs> like vitriol. Like the claim that I would not be my own Lord of my life is offensive. Verse 24, if I had not done among them those works, they'd be guilty of sin, but they've seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And then here it is for you, Christian. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of what? Truth. Who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And you also, right? We've talked about this. We are Christ's ambassadors, Corinthians tells us. Paul tells us. Paul wrote that to the church. You also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. So he would have been looking at his disciples in that moment. That band of misfits that could not have predicted what acts and following would bring in the explosion of God's church around the world to which we owe our own debt of gratitude to sit here right now. But these are some serious things. I love what Raymond Brown says in his commentary on this passage. He says this, he says, to belong to Jesus is to not belong to the world. The world can only love what belongs to it. You see, there's a issue with trying to belong to both. And I think it might be, I'll leave you out of it. <laughs> Let's talk about me. and You can assess for yourself. I think that might be one of my greatest struggles as a Christian for decades. Scripture says a lot of things about that, right? That we ought to lay down our life to find it. You know what's really difficult? (laughs) To lay down your life when you feel like you've done a pretty good job building it. Some of you, if I was to go around and you were just to be really honest with me, you like what you've built. 
You might even call it God's blessing, right? But what happens when God asks you to lay it down? It's hard. It's hard. What happens when the Holy Spirit nudges your heart in a direction of sacrifice? It's hard. All four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, place similar warnings from Jesus toward the end of Jesus' life. Warnings of persecution. Warnings that the world would not look at the church fondly for the rest of time. Fair warning that abiding in Christ and He and you and bearing that kind of fruit will lead to peace in your soul, but likely not in your circumstances. It's important. Jesus is choosing people, what the text said, out of this world because they're not of the world. Further, we are not greater than Jesus. And if Jesus was persecuted, then we can expect more of the same. It's not surprising, but rather a signpost of encouragement. Jesus' true church all throughout history thrived in persecution. Paul, writing to Timothy about being a young pastor and what he should expect in the ministry in 2 Timothy 3.12 said this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Alright, so all of that wrapped up into one. If I'm not experiencing any opposition to my faith, I might not be living out my faith. Now listen, that may not come in the form of death threats or anything like that. But if we're not at least engaging on an intellectual level with different ideas than what is on the news, we might be doing it wrong. Right? There, there are things in this world that Jesus does differently. Now here's where this is so important. Because if I stopped here, you'd be tempted. Listen to me. Don't miss this. This is, this is key. You'd be tempted to think I was calling you to battle. Right? Because that's what we're used to. But I want you to watch what happens here. And don't forget, this is what we forget when we go week to week, that all the rest of what John already wrote still applies. Okay? So we're going to connect some dots here. Notice the connection back to the previous verses. Abiding in the Father, like a branch to a vine, brings the life full of joy. Full of the joy that we were made for directly from the Father. So here's the obvious parallel is that the world hates those receiving life from the Father because it actually hates the Father. One of the most insightful quotes I've ever heard by anyone, at least for me, was this statement. I don't even remember who said it, but here's what it is. We hate when someone tells us what to do. Anyone? Anyone? Anyone hate? You're all lying. Okay? We got one honest human, all right? You're like, I'm not raising my hand in church. I don't know what you're going to say next. I'm not doing it. We hate when someone tells us what to do. 99.9% of marital conflict is when your spouse tells you what to do and you're like, I'm not doing it. I made that stat up, but it felt right, okay? Because Camden's serving out in the nursery, so I can say whatever I want. She's not here to defend herself. I'm online. She's probably watching online. Love you. <laughs> wow, I forgot we streamed that out there. My bad. Love you, honey. Do we have a 10 second delay? I'm just kidding. But listen to this. 
but we hate even more when someone tells us there's nothing we can do. And isn't that the message of the gospel? Isn't that what John 15, 5, what we talked about two weeks ago says? When Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's so hard to believe that, isn't it? Why did Jesus say, let the little children come to me? Why, why, why are we commanded, encouraged to have faith like a child? Because we start to believe our own press sometimes. We start to believe that our little successes that are building on each other are something when they're nothing. So critical. This is precisely what the life and then death and then victorious resurrection of Jesus declares, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins and Christ made us alive together with Him. That is the gospel. That we needed something totally outside of ourselves to come in and resurrect us. Not our grit, not our effort, not our good works. Scripture says all we like sheep have gone astray. Though we act like it, we have no control over the outcomes of our life. At any moment it can change. Let me just give you one example of the world imploding on itself, okay? Can I do that? For decades, Richard Dawkins has been one of the prominent atheist voices, celebrated by science, celebrated by anyone who doesn't want to believe in Jesus. (laughs) It's at the top of the list. I read this week that he's receiving all kinds of hate and all kinds of vitriol from the people that used to celebrate him Because he came out in the past little while saying that there's actually only two biological genders. He says, it's science. I just, I've been promoting rational science for decades and that's what the science tells me. And now he, the the poster child of atheism, is at the butt end of vitriol from the science community. Because you can't please everybody. The culture of tolerance doesn't work. If there was no truth, somewhere, anywhere, we would implode. (laughs) Because you can't please everybody. It's not possible. You cannot go that route and find peace. Because we have the poster child of declaring there's no God, of declaring science is everything until it doesn't serve the world's needs. Well, then you're just a bigot. And even if you've been the leading voice of science for decades, our secular moment will implode on itself and it will move to something else. But all the persecution of God's people, according to verse 21, is born out of People not knowing the Father. This, listen to me, I think that is the tragedy of our secular moment. Is that we're fighting a lot of battles on behalf of Jesus. Please notice the air quotes that I'm throwing up. If you're listening to the audio podcast, I am throwing up air quotes. (laughs) Because those are not the battles Jesus asked us to fight, are they? They're not. The tragedy of our secular moment is the disdain to recognize and know the Father, the Creator and Sustainer of all life. But, 
None of this need discourage any single one of us. None of this ought to stir hatred in your heart for someone who might hate you for your worldview. As a matter of fact, you should never feel hate for any of your peers in this world. Because that would be the opposite intention of what Jesus was trying to teach here. As a matter of fact, it's our time to seize this moment to say, this will not satisfy you, but let me tell you what will. Because John three sixteen and 17 came before this, didn't it? John fifteen eighteen to 27 is not divorced from the context of John 3. It's not. Because John 3, 16 and 17 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. For God, listen to me, God did not send His Son into the world to what? Say it. He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through Him. You see, the exclusivity of Jesus leads to the inclusivity of Jesus. That all are welcome at the feet of Jesus. And it is not our job to throw anybody in hell or cast anybody somewhere else or do any other things. Our job is to be Jesus' representatives here on earth, bringing His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now listen, bring this full circle. In doing so, true love casts out fear. True love also tells the truth. So there will be things, just like in my marriage, just like in my parenting, just like in our friendships, That when you love somebody, you love them enough to tell them the truth. So there will be things that rub the wrong way. But never out of spite. Never out of an unloving heart. We take our cues from Jesus. Who received such persecution and gave up his own life so that all people would have the opportunity to have life and have it to the full. And what we are offering to people is that. The spirit of truth, verse 26, proceeding from the Father will bring this truth into the world and the remnant of God's people will always prevail because He will bear witness of the Father through us. Listen to me. That is what I can give my life to. That is what I can get behind. That is what I can tell my neighbors, my co-workers, my family. Listen, I don't have it all figured out. still don't understand some of the Old Testament But you know what? I'm working on it. But here's what I do know. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Right? I think a lot of times we think we need every apologetic answer when the reality is, is the Scripture calls you and we have it on our kingdom cards. Grab one in the back on your way out. Go home and tell your friends about all that Jesus has done for you. That's it. The Holy Spirit can handle His business. He is the Spirit of truth. He will testify about the Father. But the scripture says he wants to do it through you, through me. And that is worth giving our life to. Amen?
It is. And so the, the way we want to wrap that up today is at the communion table. Because the way we talk about it here is that anywhere Jesus promises to be, anywhere the Holy Spirit promises to participate, that's where I want to be. And so if you listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you can turn there if you want. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, before I have the guys come up, says this. It says, my beloved, flee idolatry. That's step one, right? We're told that before we take communion in 1 Corinthians 11, that we ought to examine our hearts. Every one of us has idols in our heart. I think it was John Calvin who said our our hearts are like idol factories. <laughs> I don't know about you, but there's some of that going on in me. Listen to what the scripture says. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Verse 16 of chapter 10. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. Listen, if you don't get anything out of what I had to say, that's totally fine. But I want you to know that in Christ there is life. And life to the full. So if you're a Christian today, if you have confessed that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He rose from the dead, the Scripture says you are saved. And we want to invite you to take communion with us today. If you're not, I would just encourage you to watch and listen and Wait, and maybe pray, and ask the Holy Spirit that He might illuminate your heart to the Father, to the love that God had for you when He stepped out of the splendors of heaven and into the earth, so that you could have a way to be made right with Him, to know Him, to be loved by Him, to have a perfect Father. And so I'm going to have Pastor Tim and Pastor Jerome come up, and there's a couple baskets, and they're just going to walk through and hand this out, and we're going to intentionally keep it quiet today. A lot of times we do music and want to just keep you in this moment of reflection on what the Scripture has said to you today. As you consider the last few weeks, as we've looked at the beginning parts of John 15, into today's, that there is this other life, this different worldview, this abundant life, this joy to the full. And I just want to ask you to consider your heart. Consider fleeing idolatry. Whatever that looks like for you. And so as you receive the elements in your hand, I just invite you to wait. There's an element of following Jesus that involves waiting, is there not? I think about the Christians from times past who had to wait on the Lord. You know, they didn't know what we know. It's fun to think about, even in this very room, a hundred years ago, they were taking communion to the glory of the Father. And we just fall in a long line of faithfulness here at Redeemer City Church. I'm really grateful for So take just a moment as you prepare your heart.
you till the soil of your heart. I encourage you to pray, to examine your heart, confess your sins. And in just a moment, we will take the elements together at the reading of the Word. So take just a moment to yourself here.